Welcome to Chef Bill's Table. I'm your host, Bill Kinslow, chef here at Jake's Restaurant in Flemington, New Jersey. Coming to you every Monday with conversations about food, beverages, and uh, holidays. Any chance to uh, get in the kitchen and cook or outside. Got a compatriot with me today, Peter Nurcio from Black River Spice and Tea Company. Got your name right this time, right, Pete? Yes, you did. And uh, I was kind of listexic about it before. <laughs> so anyway, we're going to talk about uh, paprika. I know last week I think I I gave a heads up for it, but I, I believe I said it would be cayenne pepper, which eh, was close enough, a little spicy version of it. Uh, but paprika, uh, another widely used spice, I guess we'll call it a spice. And um, look, spice. go ahead, Pete. It's a spice. It's considered a spice. Considered a spice, not a seasoning, right? Uh, no, seasoning is a blend, usually. So All right. Anyway, yeah. uh, so paprika. So a brief, uh, uh, brief skinny on the paprika. Um, many are familiar, and Pete's going to clear up some. Sometimes the uh, the naming of things and what things are called gets a little cloudy here with labeling rules and uh, what people try to pass off as certain things. But basically, paprika, New World Spice, and Europeans embrace it. I just, uh, oh, another food holiday this week, which we're going to actually use some of this in, is uh, on the 15th, it's National Lobster Day. And my thought was Lobster Newberg, very classic dish that would use cayenne and or paprika. I always made it with paprika, but uh, I think the original recipe may have called for a, a little bit of cayenne. And we'll go over that later, but uh, widely used in, in uh, especially in our restaurant. We make uh, rubs with it. We'll talk about Cajun spices, blackening, and what's the difference between blackening and burning, and what happens. Pete's going to, I think, give us some of the chemistry behind that. And um, we'll get we're going. Oh, a little trivia. Hungary, apparently... Uh, the Palfy Brothers, P-A-L-F-F-Y, invented this machine to strip the stalks and the seeds from the peppers. The peppers do grow there. They were brought back again when the New World trade started. Really embraced it. They've got four categories of food actually devoted to paprika, even including fish. So uh, the Spaniards grow very well. They tend to dry the peppers over wood fire, so you get the smoke, the pimenton, sometimes you see that name is, but I'm going to let Pete, uh, hand the mic over to Pete here and let him give you a little bit more on the background of paprika, and then we'll get into some of the techniques and recipes later. Okay, so paprika comes uh, principally from three species of the capsicum um, genus. Uh, capsicum is, is the bell and chili peppers. So, out of those three, uh, you have anum, you have uh, capsicum frutescens, and you have capsicum chinense. Um, capsicum anum is your bell peppers and your jalapeno peppers. Uh, capsicum frutescens uh, is generally the uh, family, or the varieties within that are bird's eye, and uh, also one variety that's used to make Tabasco, uh, it comes out of that. 
So the, uh, the last one, uh, Capsicum chinensi, uh, that includes uh, varieties like habanero and uh, the bonnet peppers, like scotch bonnets. So those are the three uh, species of paprika that are responsible for, uh, oh, I'm sorry, those are the three species of peppers that, is, that are responsible for all of the paprika made. But mainly, um, those three species, they use the sweeter varieties of all three. They don't use scotch bonnet to make paprika, and they don't use the hotter ones. So out of those three uh, species, it's always going to be the sweeter varieties. Yes, yeah, so, um, and a lot of times I think, and uh, people think that all oh, Hungarian paprika is hot and Spanish paprika is sweet, and it's not really as simple as that. No, it's not. The... Uh, the paprika is characterized in several ways. First is uh, whether it's sweet uh, or it's hot, and whether uh, it is uh, smoky or it's not smoky, and uh, what type of uh, chili or bell pepper was used to make it. Those are the three variations for paprika. Now, you, uh, you were talking about uh, pimentan and there's a, a common misunderstanding. Most people think pimentan means smoked paprika. Pimentan means pepper. Right. Okay? But what happens is that, that so many people and, and companies are associating it with the smoked that it's taken on the meaning when you hear pimentan, that means, oh, it's, it's, it's the smoked. It's but it's not. In Spain, if you see pimentan, you would not necessarily get smoke, you get whatever they have. Yeah, it's more, but that's traditionally how they do dry them out, and I think that's why right. it, but it's like shrimp scampi, right? The, you know, <laughs> what's really a species now has become a dish, so this was, okay, one, this is a general term that's now being applied to something specific. Right. Now, that, that's an interesting uh, thing that you talk about when you're talking about uh, the drying. Um, the, the, the drying of, of uh, the peppers used to make paprika, there, uh, there are two ways, like you said. They, they, they either use a heat-drying technique in a smokehouse or they use the sun. And really, the way it turned out was um, uh, the, uh, that paprika that was being made or those peppers that were being dried that came... Um, from the Mauricia, uh, or yeah, Mercia, Mercia I'm sorry, yeah, yeah, Mercia um, region, they were sun dried because after the growing season and after they picked the peppers, uh, it's on the Mediterranean side of Spain. Yep. It was still warm and dry, and you could put them out and let the sun dry them. Now, in Lavira, uh, that's Extremadura, that's, that's the Atlantic side of Spain. Um, when the season was over for growing and they picked them, you got a rainy season. So it wasn't practical to put them out to sun dry. Sure. So what they did was they started using little uh, houses to uh, dry them, you know, and it was wood. wood that was uh, the fuel, yeah. It was, right, was used to, didn't to have keep the house. Gas, so. so what wound <laughs> up happening was they got a smoked flavor from them. So it's, it's not like someone decided, oh, let's smoke these. It's just the practicality of this is how we're going to have to do it that created this, this difference in whether uh, they were Mercia or whether they were going to be something like, uh, you know, the Lavira, which is going to be the smoked. So that's interesting that, that uh, that's the, really where it all came from. 
you know, if, if you look at the history of, of uh, paprika, that's even, even more interesting. You know, Columbus brought it over. He brought over the peppers. Oh, yeah. Well, many things, uh, tomatoes, things like that, that came from the New World, potatoes, all these things that, that European countries embraced and developed into what we know as their cuisine, really it was all pretty late on the, sea, on the scene. Uh, I guess you'd have to go back before, you know, the 18th or 17th, 16th, 16th century, century 15, yeah, 14, would be 92. the earliest, yeah, to find um, original cuisine. We're going to take a break at the quarter hour. Uh, we'll be back at the table with uh, Pete, and we'll see some more about paprika at Chef Bill's table. Back at the Chef's Bill's table here with Peter Nurcio. I got it right twice from Black River Spice and Tea Company. So, Peter, um, paprika now, because the pepper does have a flavor, right? It's it does. Not just, a lot of people, when, when I think when I first uh, started cooking, you take broiled fish and Sprinkle paprika on it, I guess, to help it brown and maybe maybe look brown. It gives it a red color. It's, yeah. it's a coloring, but but it, it, it does have a flavoring, uh, although it's very sedate. To bring out the flavoring in paprika, a lot. Uh, what really you ought to do is uh, you heat some oil and you throw the paprika in the hot it's oil. Better in the oil. It doesn't really dissolve in water too easily. No, not really. But but when you put it in the hot oil, uh, you gotta you can't keep it in there long. You you put it in there 10, 15 seconds, take it off the flame. And what winds up happening when you take it off the flame is is uh, the paprika particles themselves uh, will leach out all of the flavor components. Those are those dissolve very readily in oil. Okay. So um, I know with uh, blackening, let's say, so go to the first application that uh, where I saw, uh, I was, because we used to put paprika on the fish, the lobster tails, and it would brown and it would burn. And as a young chef, I was, you know, saying, I was reading something, well, you know, instead of paprika, put breadcrumbs if you want something brown that mixed with the butter, rather than burning the paprika and making it too bitter. So it made right. sense. So I, for years, I would not put pre- paprika on, you know, fish to broil it. It would be fine breadcrumbs, and they would give it that nice brown color without that bitter flavor. So then along comes Paul Prudhomme in the 80s with his blackening of fish and steaks, and th- the spice mixes for that are the major ingredients, paprika. Right, Creole, uh, yeah. Cajun. Yeah, and the idea is, to, he's always said, you burn it sweet, not bitter. And, you know, well, what is, what's the difference? Because it comes out looking black, but you taste it, and it's not bitter. Right. And what you're saying, so in oil, no more than a couple of minutes. And I think that's why it works with fish and maybe a chicken cutlet, because our seasoning that we use for that has the paprika in it. Those items are going to be blackened only for a couple of minutes on each side. Right, right. Our steak seasoning does not have paprika, because the steak's going to cook longer, or pork, or meat, and... There is a science behind it because it's not just you can't use the same one for everything. It, it one, the, you can't use one technique to fit all. Uh, so, so yeah, you're right. The uh, when you blacken, you're not um, you're, you're you're not putting the paprika under a constant 
high heat for a long time. So if you throw in your blackening spice right up front, it's going to burn. You know, you, you need to be doing your cooking first in butter. And then, uh, and then at some point you start introducing uh, your blackening spice. And you go, you cook until it Well, blackens. the technique is you, you brush the, uh, let's say it's fish. Yes. And you, you brush it with melted butter and then sprinkle the spice on. And you put it right into a hot cast iron pan. And then uh, but, uh, you've got butter already on the fish. So apparently using butter is one of the keys, too, because that breaks down and browns. Even though it's clarified, it's still going to help that browning effect. Butter is, is like it's an, oil, uh, it's an oil-like substance. You can dissolve butter into oil, but you can't dissolve it into water. So butter is an oil-like it's, substance. Yeah, it's an emulsion by itself. Yeah. yeah. But we use the clarified, which is just the fat part. But right. it, it made sense you know, then, okay, you're blackening, but you're not exposing the paprika. Because I read what you had about too much exposure to heat, and you're going to lose the flavor. You'll and burn it. And it does become bitter. Right. So another, uh, what was I curious about? And uh, you may know this. Uh, there are other, uh, paprika is always red, but, you know, there are some orange kind of peppers that are used. They come in all, even brownish, uh, some of them. How about uh, the, green? There's, is there, there is green paprika, correct? Um, I'm not familiar with green paprika. Um, there may very well be. Uh, they would probably dry a green pepper. A green bell pepper, right? Yeah. And, and dry uh, that out. And I think, that, you know, there's flakes. I know you see um, dried pepper in, uh, oh, say, some of your rice mixtures and a lot, a lot of uh, prepared foods that are dried, and you'll see dried bell pepper flakes. So I imagine right. if you can get it to that point, you can grind it and... I don't know if it's called green paprika. It might be, but uh, I was just curious, like, you know, okay, because we always use it for color um, and a little bit of flavor, but, you know, and then you got the paste, the ahi amarillo in, uh, in Peru, I believe it is. They mm-hmm. use the yellow peppers, but it's more of a paste. Right, not really that's a different. Powder. Yeah. Now, is it coloring? Because very few things that you know, the USDA will let, let you say is a coloring. Beet is one of them, um, but annatto seed... Is very annatto yeah, that's and the that's, Mexican foods. They, right, so as a right. coloring agent, is annatto better than paprika, or is it, it might be a little more intense? Well, annatto really is not used for flavoring. Right, uh, it's, it's kind it's, of... It's just coloring, so if you need to impart any kind of flavor, like for instance, you know, when it comes to flavor in, in paprika... Uh, the Hungarian paprika is going to be the most flavorful, and it's usually the most expensive. Yeah, they've but really they've really figured it out, though. They grow the pep. I mean, they really became their a national treasure for them. So there's four basic I don't want to call them food groups, but techniques that are the stars of their cuisine. Right. You know, and we think of goulash, we think of uh, paprikas, chicken, but the the, uh, the fish. But there's actually four major dishes that are very very popular there. Well, they also added to a lot of their sausage. Uh, paprika is very popular in sausage making. In oh, Hungary. sure. Well, chorizo and, and Spanish sausage. Yeah, chorizo and we Yeah. In fact, I've got a glaze here using smoked paprika that uh, actually we use with shrimp and andouille, but I'll give hmm. you little tips on that a little bit later. Yeah, so that's the interesting thing is, is that it does come in different colors. Uh, you'll you'll get it in uh, is, is like a light brown and to a rosé color. Um, you can even get it as an orange red, and then there's the deep bright deep red, and when it's smoked, it really gets dark, but it's red. Uh, so, and you can then 
and I know, you know, of course, you with spices would say, if you can't remember when you bought them last, throw them out. <laughs> but um, paprika will change in the container ones. So will it, will it get it'll get a little darker or loses it, that brightness? <coughs> it pep, paprika is uh, in, like most spices that when when you have a spice that's in its ground state, right? That is the most vulnerable to oxidation. So when you keep spices in their whole state, like you, you in your restaurant, you probably keep a lot of peppercorn because peppercorn. We have peppercorns, we keep our fennel seed whole. Yeah, we have uh, cinnamon. Those things are whole because when you actually grind to use them, then the full flavor profile comes out. Paprika is only sold ground. Yeah, that's that's the point. Paprika is ground. It's there's no such thing as a, a paprika bean or pe- you know that, yeah. that so, so you really need to keep it fresh. So so you the clock starts to run as soon as uh, it's made, and the the best you can do is keep it in a dark, dry place, cool, and it will. It, and as long as the cap is on tight. The air exchange is minimal to nothing. And well, you yeah, like anything, if you have a, an almost full container, it's, if, you're almost better off if um, if you're down to a small part in there is maybe transferred to a smaller container. Sure. Yeah. Keep the oxygen. Would you store it in the refrigerator? You you might, but you know you know what the problem is there. Once once you put uh, spices in the refrigerator, even if the covers uh, is closed tight. When you take them out to use them, if you use them, you're probably going to use them right away. Mm-hmm. And they're going to be cold. And if they're cold, they're probably going to condense ambient moisture in the air onto them. So now they're going to start getting a little moisture on them. And then they're going to clump. And maybe even if, if, if they're rolled, you might even get some mold growth. Yeah, so that's not, not yeah, recommended. Yeah, it's not recommended. I mean, if you're going to do that, you have to take them out the night before, let them come to room temperature, then use them, close it up, and put it back in the okay. fridge. All right. But but don't use them cold. Yeah, because I mean, we turn over paprika pretty quickly because we use it. In, I mean, uh, two of our dressings get it, uh, our herb vinaigrette and our French dressing. Um, we use it in our Cajun seasoning, which that's we season yep. our flour with that. We use it in our chili. We use the smoked paprika in chili, yep. uh, a fair amount of it. And I said we've got the... Uh, Some people use cayenne uh, with the chili, too, a chili powder. Oh, yeah. We have no, We have a lot of, you know, there's other hot peppers in there, but um, paprika still, you know, that add that sweet to it. Um, I use it when I, after I brown the onions for onion soup, I dash in some paprika. I think that's that old. I mean, it's the same with using cayenne or, or crushed red pepper. Uh, developed that habit a long time ago. A uh, lady that, whose culinary skills I respected told me, an Italian lady said, whenever you cook anything, throw a little bit of red pepper in there. And she meant, you know, the hot, the crushed red pepper. Not for heat, but for flavor. So I'm thinking, okay, paprika, you know, I can do that if yeah. I really don't want the heat. So when I'm, uh, yeah, when I, after I got the onions caramelized, I would add a little paprika, you know, not saute too long, as you said, a couple of minutes, and then you start adding your liquid, and it just gives the onions that nice uh, little bit of that, you know, orange hue, but you do have that sweet pepper flavor in there. Yeah, that's the way you use it. So what else about paprika? So, so uh, I don't know. I was thinking uh, maybe a little bit about the 
history, uh, I wanted to go back and tell you that, uh, you know, that Columbus brought it over. And what wound up happening was uh, the, uh, the monasteries took the plants and started growing them. And originally it was the Hieronymite um, monks in uh, Lavira that were growing uh, the, pep- uh, the peppers. And they were actually the first to grind it and make paprika. Okay, they were the first to dry and grind. Yeah, and drying was just preserving the harvest at that time. They right. didn't know why they were drying. It was like, well, i got to do something with these, right? I don't want to throw them away. <laughs> I don't have a freezer, you know. Oh, they were used as preservatives. Uh, yeah. the, the, um, remember, uh, things that were peppery, uh, there was no refrigeration. Yeah. So things that are peppery uh, tended to keep... Uh, Bacteria away and microbes. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's uh, so, so it does have so, a so you know peppered type of dried meats that uh, you can get peppered. Those are uh, antibacterial. All right. Yeah. Just uh, what is it uh, in the garden? Like my father used to say, mustard plants or mustard would keep bugs away or it, something it, like that. It uh, it very well may. I, I'm I'm not familiar with it, yeah. but but it, what's interesting is is that they started making actual paprika. They uh, shared it with some of the monks um, in Mercia, and uh, that's how it got there. And then it wasn't until Charles V of Spain, when he uh, abdicated the throne, uh, he wound up uh, going to, uh, to a monastery. Uh, he, was, um, he was there and, uh, in, in Lavira. And uh, he wound up giving, giving some of the plants, because he got very fond of it, to his sister, who was the Queen of Hungary. So that's how it got so over there. So that's how it got over there. Okay, we're, gonna, we're up against the half hour, so that's all right. I was wondering how it got to Hungary, because it, I didn't know that Hungary was any of the settlers it was really in the New World. So <laughs> it came, all right. Interesting, huh? Well, you still need the, the, the monks to make everything. They, they craft the best beers and the cheeses, and uh, I guess uh, that's what you got to do, right? Exactly. We've got a break for news here. We'll be back in, oh, maybe 60 or 120 seconds. Chef Bill's Table. USA Radio News with Chris Barnes. I don't understand why the president just doesn't clear this matter up once and for all. President Trump is starting the week facing ongoing calls, including from many Republicans, to put to rest the issue of whether he has tape recordings of conversations with former FBI Director James Comey. Trump teased the possible existence of those tapes during a news conference just last week, saying we'd find out shortly if they exist. Republican Senator Susan Collins says we shouldn't have to wait. He should voluntarily turn them over, not only to the Senate Intelligence Committee, but to the special counsel. Collins speaking on CNN's State of the Union. Comey is expected to be an issue tomorrow when Attorney General Jeff Sessions testifies before the Senate Intelligence Committee. Still not clear whether he'll be testifying in an open hearing or behind closed doors. This is USA Radio News.
We're back at the table here, Chef Bill's table, exploring paprika. So, Pete, go on. You've got some other. You said there's um, designation of origin, just like with yeah, wines. Exactly. In uh, Spain, at least, right? In Spain, they have two. Uh, there's uh, in 1993, uh, Lavira got its designation. And in, uh, not sure of the date, but Mauricia followed shortly thereafter, I believe. So, so basically what that does is that gives them rights to call, say, in Lavira, any of the farmers growing uh, that, the paprika, it gives them the right to, to put on the bottle or the can that this is Lavira paprika. And if somebody else does it, they can then get in Then the EU uh, law enforcement arm comes into play. Okay. Just like wines or cheeses or anything else. Exactly. I mean, you can, uh, in Spain, I'm sorry, uh, you can grow uh, in Burgundy, France, uh, a, uh, a grape and make a wine and call it a Burgundy, but you can't do that in Spain because Burgundy, you know, Burgundy's got its own DO. Uh, so it's, it's the right. same Right. You'd have, to, you'd have to call it Spanish Burgundy. We'd have to have the country in front of it. You couldn't just call it that, I guess. You, you, you. I don't even think cheeses. you can use it. I think you, you could say. I, I don't think you're. You can even imply it. To be honest with you, the. Uh, I don't think in the United States we have no trouble borrowing those names. We make burgundies here in the United States. Well, we make Chablis. We, and, we used we don't to. respect I don't, any of that. Uh, I don't even know if you find that so much anymore. I think the wine companies even have finally said, you know what, we, you know. Well, Just out of do. respect, you made. I, I, but I remember the jug wines were always these generic, sure, wine names named after French wines, and <laughs> nowhere near the same grape or anything like that. But you know, I can understand. Well, people want to protect what's theirs, and paprika. You know, if somebody's saying, you know, it's Hungarian. You said there's different grades in Hungarian. Yeah, you see that, and that's that's the point. If you're gonna, if you've built a label or you've built a, a reputation, better yet, a reputation. Uh, based on the type of paprika you make, uh, and you call it something, you want, like you said, protect that. And and in fact, it's got the quality issue is so great, like in in Hungary, that there are eight different grades of paprika. There, I mean, there's noble sweet, which is uh, slightly pungent. Uh, there is a special quality, which is uh, sort of mild, um, and it's uh, very sweet with a deep red color to it. There's delicate, uh, which is a mild paprika with rich flavor, and that's uh, that's really the paprika, uh, the delicate and the exquisite delicate are the ones that really get imported to the U.S. Uh, the most. They they uh, are the exquisite delicate being a little bit more pungent. Uh, then there's something called pungent exquisite delicate. Uh, then there's a rosé uh, with a, it has a strong aroma. Uh, it's not too pungent, but it's a pale red color, which is sort of counterintuitive because quality in paprika in the U.S., the deeper the Normally red. Normally want that brilliant red, yes. Right, the, yeah. the better the paprika. Yeah. But they have, uh, they have a grade called rosé. Uh, there's a half sweet, which is mild, but uh, has some of the pungent properties. And then there's the strong stuff. And really, the way, that, the, the way they make it hotter and more pungent and stronger... Is by leaving in certain parts of the dried pepper plant. So we leave the ribs in there, and, right? The know, seeds, the ribs, seeds. yeah, and that's. But if you use just the flesh, 
you know, the, the red flesh and you, right. cut, you cut the ribs away and take the seeds out, then you're going to wind up with a mild paprika. But if you leave that other stuff in, uh, then you're going to get more of a, a hotter paprika. And so then you would say like a, a cousin of paprika would be the cayenne. Yeah. they're. they're uh, I mean, it's made the same way, kind of, right? I it, mean, you might leave this, the, uh, the ribs and things because you want, you want it to be hot, but basically you're doing the same thing, right? You're, you're doing the same process. Uh, and and uh, in, in the case of cayenne, uh, you know, you're... Um, that's a specific pepper. Yeah, that's a, it, it is specific. And, and in the case of cayenne, it's very hot. Um, paprika, even the hottest paprika doesn't begin to approach the hotness of chilies that are pulverized into okay, pepper. Yeah. So if you get ancho or cayenne or if you get chipotle or, or habanero powdered, um, those are... Um, way up the scale. Way up, yeah. up the scale. Even ancho is maybe closest to paprika because that's not That's as pretty mild, yeah. That's, but that's a, that's a good tasty one. That's a common. And people hear the word chilies and they think hot automatically, but really the, uh, the smoking, the drying process, um, all these things alter that flavor in, in a nice it. way. There's fruit flavors in some of the mild ones almost. You know, they are a fruit, right? The pepper... Yeah, yeah. But botanically, it's the fruit. they're fruits. Yes, it's the yeah. fruit of the plant. After yeah. the flower has been pollinated, it grows the fruit with the seeds. We call in those it. the fruit vegetables. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, so those are the things that that come into paprika. Again, just to recap, it's the variety you use, it's the technique that you process by, and uh, and and that's those two things um, are going to really uh, depend on whether you're going to have a sweet or a hot. Or a smoked or a non-smoked, and those are the those are the things that really impact whether you, what your final product's like. Yeah, I always used them by being, uh, say, making home fries. Let's say, and again, so it helps the browning, the color, but it does have flavor in there. It does have flavor. the 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 mild paprika that you buy in the stores, the sweet paprika, um, the cheaper varieties won't impart much flavor. Uh, if you buy a higher grade one, you'll get you'll get a um, some uh, notes of flavoring, pepper flavoring, but it's not strong in the sweet. No, I, I mean I you know when I open the container, I can I can smell it. I, I know there's something there. It's not just salt or sugar, right? But um, yeah, that mild flavor. Well, uh, this, uh, a Spanish potato dish, Papa's Bravas, is made with the uh, you fry the potatoes, which Spain Spanish potatoes they love the crispy fried potatoes for uh, maybe a tapa and but the uh, there's a tomato sauce with it now we put ketchup on our french fries here <laughs> but they'll make a tomato paprika sauce for that hmm. so you're making a tomato sauce but a, a predominant seasoning in it is the paprika and it's either served it could be a served as a hot sauce or actually turned into say a little dip or something on the side, even if you want. So, so that's one of the, you know, if you say like a um, generally a popular tapas, let's say. So you have your your tortilla, the egg and potato omelet. You have a few things that you know people say. All right, kind of kind of generalize a lot of cuisines anyway, but they are pretty popular. Good little side dish, but nice uh, fried wedges of potato with that. It's a paprika tomato. So you've got a little, you know, a little bit of spice in it, but uh, 
And I guess, you know, like I say, we put ketchup on ours, so. <laughs> well, it's, it's yeah. The it's, tomato it's, and potato, you know, seems to, there's some kind of a spicy tomato works well with that. Oh, what else do I want to ask you about, Pepper? We talked about the coloring. Well, let me uh, tell you a little bit little bit more, and maybe it'll jar your memory. The um, So so we're talking, uh, when, when you talk about flavors in, in which is important. We said earlier that the way you really use a paprika to, to get not only the color but the flavor is to uh, add it to a hot oil or to whatever cooking you're doing. But you don't keep it in there or you don't put it in there for the duration of the cooking, the full cooking time because it'll start, it'll start to burn. So... Um, I mean, so that's in the oil cooking, like when you're correct. browning the meats or sautéing. Um, when I make a roux, for example, then I'm going to thicken a sauce with it. If I want it that color, like a lobster sauce, seafood sauce, the Newburg that we're going to talk about, after the roux is cooked, then the paprika goes, and then I'm going to add my liquid. So, um, you know, it's below that 250-degree yep. point is the important thing. Yep, that's that's the uh, what, uh, water boils at 212 12, Fahrenheit, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So uh, at 250... Uh, that's a low, but it's above the boiling point of water. But it's at a point, it's at a temperature where you can start to do some chemistry. Mm-hmm. So, so what you want to do is uh, you want to release the flavor from the particles. And, and what that means is uh, that within the, the ground particles of paprika, you have all of the flavor components in there. You want to get them to dissolve into the oil, but you don't want to have that oil um, hot, and over a prolonged period of time that you can start getting uh, reactions of the those different components with the air. That's the oxidation process. So Okay, so and then, of course, as a barbecue rub now, again, we're saying long contact, but barbecue, traditional barbecue, is done at less than 250 degrees. Yes. Those smokers are anywhere from like a, you know, 190 or 200 degrees, maybe 250 at the most. I know when I do my slow cooking it's at 250, but it's a high humidity environment also. So um, on the rubs, I don't get that breakdown or that bitterness. It's actually, it, it actually works. But that would make sense why barbecuing, you know, yes, you can expose it to that heat because you're below 250. Yeah, you're, you're and, and slow cooking is, is a good example of why you want to, uh, why, why it's a good idea to keep the paprika, let's say, um, in there for uh, a short contact period. When you do a slow cooking, you're, you're actually keeping temperatures, like you said, below 250. Uh, that allows you more, buys you more time to cook right, with the, the paprika. Right, because the braises, the paprika, the, the Hungarian dishes are all braises. Right. But the paprika does not go in up front with the meat. It's after the meat is browned and before you're adding your liquid that's going to be at 212 or less, Right. You know, and even wine, if you're cooking with wine, cooking wine with boils wine. at a lower point. So that's even going to, when we do, uh, say, our, our Newberg that we're talking about, that can, it does even less damage. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because that's, I mean, most people, and that's the problem why people don't cook using spices and they don't, they don't try out the waters because they don't know how to use them. And well, yeah, if you don't use them incorrectly, you get a bad experience. And yeah, you're like, oh, that's no good. Why would anybody <laughs> use that? We're up against the quarter hour. We've got a couple of quick uh, thoughts here from sponsors, and we'll be back at the table with Pete.
You're listening to WHCRDB, HuntertonChamberRadio.com. Brought to you by the Hunterdon County Chamber of Commerce, the voice of business. All right, we're winding down, getting to the end of another hour here at Chef Bill's table. Gosh, goes by pretty quickly. So, yeah, with uh, uh, Pete, sort of to recap, the uh, is there nutritional content in spices? We often think of them. As, I know turmeric is getting the, a lot of play lately, but uh, what about paprika? What do we have? Well, uh, paprika uh, is uh, rich in vitamin A and also apparently rich in, in vitamin C. Well, I found, yeah, well. one uh, scientist you know, has claimed that one of the, had the, some of the highest vitamin C content of plants. So, you know, and so using a little bit too much is not going to hurt gonna you. Ki- no, but, but you're probably not going to get your daily uh, intake through adding a little spice here and there because you're using such a minute amount of, of spice remember you're just using enough to impart a flavor um, I mean it's there but but you'd, you'd have to have a couple of tablespoons of paprika to, to really get a, a, um, a nutritional value out of it oh okay I've got well what do I have I've got something here that uses quite a bit it's a, a smoked paprika glaze Hmm. So we did it, um, we ran a, a shrimp and grits dish for a while, and oftentimes the shrimp are just sautéed, sometimes they're grilled. A lot of times people put bacon with them. The grits is, of course, the nice uh, cornmeal porridge from the south, like our kind of, our version of polenta. So we, uh, I said, well, I want to, you know, do something a little bit different. I found this smoked paprika glaze, which we would... Um, with andouille sausage also, which has some paprika and, and some hot pepper in it. But we glazed the uh, shrimp and the andouille with the smoked paprika, and then that kind of, it almost becomes, it's a little bit of the oil coming off. It's kind of a sauce. And then we did a, uh, a chive oil as another drizzle. And that's, a, that's you could do it with scallion greens, but basically taking oil, olive oil, and uh, the chives, and in the food processor, and you need a good five minutes. And five minutes, I'm telling you, is a long time. <laughs> and you're thinking, oh, it's got to be done by now. It's got to be done by now. But it really, uh, once I saw that technique, I think um, I saw it in a, like a Bobby Flay article or something. Said, you really need to let it go for five minutes and to dissolve it. Um, you can make flavored oils by macerating or by grinding and then straining. But this really, five minutes in a processor, and you've got a nice, brilliant green oil with that slight onion flavor. So this glaze, I mean, this is a, a fairly large amount, a, a cup and a half of olive oil, three tablespoons of minced garlic, fresh, uh, three teaspoons of dried thyme. You could use, if you used fresh thyme, you'd have to probably triple that amount. Um, and it's three tablespoons plus a teaspoon of smoked paprika. So that's a good good hit in there. I mean, you've got a nice color. Uh, a little bit of sherry vinegar, a couple of tablespoons of sherry vinegar. You see sometimes these glazes with sherry, but the vinegar works. Uh, that little sweetness of paprika, and then you've got a little acid in there. Uh, a teaspoon and a half of salt, a teaspoon of white pepper, and actually a teaspoon of crushed red pepper. This glaze does not have to be cooked. You just have to make sure you stir it well because, of course, the oil separates. But it, it takes on that nice color and... 
really a nice flavor with the shrimp with the smoked paprika in a frying pan and the shrimp tastes like it's cooked outdoors sounds great and celebrating our lobsters of course the lobster newberg which is one of the probably one of the first elegant dishes i learned you know, the young cooks would learn how to make back from the 60s that type of uh, it was uh, supposedly there's there's stories about how it started it was uh a customer at uh, Delmonico's, the first probably true a la carte menu restaurant in the country, and this it was he was a fisherman or fish trader uh, named Wenberg, and he came oh I've got this great recipe, comes in with this thing and makes it for them, and they put it on the menu with his name Wenberg. I guess they had some kind of spat at some point. Nobody knows what they fought about, but they he was kicked out of the restaurant took it off the menu, and people kept wanting the dish, so they changed it to Newburgh. They just uh, reversed the letters there. So it's And lobster thermidor probably already existed. This is kind of a variation on that. So I liked it because uh, we actually, one place I worked, we did table-side cooking, and this is a dish that really lends itself to table-side because it's very simple ingredients, and you're using uh, cooked lobster meat. You could use crab. You could use shrimp if you wanted to do something... Uh, that you're cooking yourself, saute some shrimp and make the sauce. But basically, it's uh, cream, and a lot of recipes call for sherry. I like Madeira, a little, little bit more finesse in the Madeira, and some brandy. You don't need to use cognac. Actually, for cooking, I like brandy. I mean, a Spanish brandy is good, but a California has that little better grapiness to it that you want. Really, brandy is basically distilled wine, and... I think in cooking, if you use something that's too good, that's aged, I mean, you're looking for an aged cognac, more of the of the oak effect on it. And I think for cooking, you want something a little bit fresher. So we have our lobster meat that's, if you're using from whole lobsters, of course, is already cooked. And a little butter, you're going to saute that and add some paprika. Quick cooking, because the meat's already cooked. All you're doing is heating it up. And most recipes would say, add the sherry then, or the Madeira, flame it, and then you add your cream. Now, to reduce the sauce after that point, uh, the original recipe, I think, had the lobster staying in there, but you really need to take the lobster meat out so it doesn't overcook. Let the sauce cook down and season it with your salt and pepper. If you like a little bit of heat, the uh, cayenne can go in. Another way, if you want to make a roux, which is your fat and flour, your butter and flour, say you're making a large batch. You don't want to use just heavy cream. You could use milk or, or half and half. Um, your flour and roux, which we talked about on the butter show, your, your equal proportions. You want to cook the flour out a little bit and then add your paprika when you're done cooking the roux. You don't want to have the paprika in the oil too long. That gives a nice rosy hue to the sauce. I think the original sauce didn't call for paprika because some of the coral and the uh, cooked lobster eggs were in there to add the pink color to it. But mm -hmm. if you're just using cooked lobster meat, you don't have that. So the paprika probably uh, was the addition to kind of sim uh, a little color. Sim simulate that, yes. Um, traditionally, this, the sauce was thickened with egg yolks, which is very delicate, adding egg yolks, tempering, temping them, making sure you don't boil it too long. Um, doing table side, it works because you're cooking it and serving it right away. But if you have to hold it, better off to use uh, a little bit of roux in there. 
but that's uh, the Newberg, again, simple, turning that into a, a thermidor. Basically, a lot of recipes would call for some mushrooms and maybe a little uh, dry mustard and then a, a cheese topping. You put the, uh, the lobster meat back in the shells and bake it. But the Newberg's very, uh, very adaptable. Uh, it makes a great sauce. Even for other fish, say you're baking a piece of haddock or cod or um, halibut and you want a nice sauce, um, a little bit of chopped shrimp or, or lobster or even crab meat with this Newberg sauce. It was classic. It used to be on menus, and you don't see it much anymore, but even the classics are great. The combination works, and as long as your technique is good, as I say, the original recipe called for um, a lot of cooking in my estimation, very much overcooking the seafood. Uh, I saw a Julia Child recipe for thermidors. My God, it's no wonder people were intimidated. You know, all the steps in this thing. And really, I'm thinking, I used to do this stuff table-side because I've only got three or four ingredients. But um, with the wine, the cognac, I'd, I would put up front. And if you're using sherry, I would put that up, add that up front so it... Uh, reduces a little bit. If you're using Madeira, you can actually, that's a good finishing wine. You can add that a little bit, of, a few drops at the end for a good lobster Newberg. Serve it over a pastry shell, serve it over toast points, um, or again, use it as a sauce to uh, enhance a nice white filet of fish. We're getting down to the uh, the wire here. Uh, Pete, just kind of recap what we did today. The the paprikas that, that we're going to look for, I don't I think all the grades are in the... Yeah, uh, so the, so the, the, the major two paprikas, I mean, just so people know, the um, paprika is, is made in uh, other places as well. Believe it or not, the, sing, the single largest is China. They make Really? The, yeah. They, and it's made in the Netherlands, it's made in Serbia, and it's made in the USA. But... Uh, the, the the best paprika is Hungarian paprika. That's the gold standard. Uh, and uh, then when it comes to the Spanish paprika, you've got uh, the smoked, which is La Vera. Um, and then and Murcia is going to be the... They're the, like the California of Spain. They, that's yeah. the garden, the uh, the basket. Um, so the Chinese, they would grow the peppers there, or are they just... They met? grow the peppers, uh, and, and So they really the paprika. country of origin is important if you're looking for... And, and oh, absolutely. absolutely. I'm not saying that one's better than the other, but definitely different. There's... there's uh, remember, it's it's what, what varieties you're growing, and Hungary has their varieties, China has theirs, and yeah. they're not the same. So it's like any other good food. You've got to go by the taste. Yep. All right. Well, we appreciate that. It's probably uh, more than we all thought we would want to know about paprika, <laughs> but when you take a universally used uh, spice like that, and it's, it's kind of neat to just get into it. Something we take for granted as, a, as an inexpensive coloring really turns out to be its own special thing. It's a flavoring, too. Yeah. All right. Well, Pete, we're going to see you next month. We're trying on the second Monday of the month here to uh, get together and explore the world of spices. It's endless. Uh, Chef Bill signing off. We'll talk to you in a week. See you guys. The news is sponsored by the Hunterdon Medical Center. Hunterdon Medical Center was started by families for families. Inside our circle of care, we offer coordinated care for your entire family, led by our outstanding family medicine physicians and specialists. 
Hunterdon Healthcare, your full circle of care. If you need a physician, call Hunterdon Medical Center's Physician Referral Service at 1-800-511-4HMC or visit us on the web at www.hunterdonhealthcare.org.